Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Now, what we've been seeing is Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior, the sacrifice, and the substitute for the sins of mankind. We're seeing the early part of Jesus' ministry. He's in the northern part of Galilee in Capernaum. That's become his headquarters. Now, what he's been doing is showing people that he is the Savior and the Messiah. How does he do that? Well, he does two things. He's teaching the Word of God with authority. In fact, when he teaches, they're amazed, and they go, nobody teaches like this. It's incredible. The second thing he's been doing is he's been performing these miracles and signs. He's doing things and people are just amazed at what he's done. In fact, he shows his authority over the demons and over sickness and over nature. And even last time, we saw that he gives forgiveness of sins. He did that right in front of religious leaders and, and they kind of questioned his authority. But he, he said that uh, he forgives sins and, and, of course, they realize only God could do that. So what Jesus is doing is proving that he's God. Well, this morning, there are two more events we'll see as we go through this passage. Number one is we're going to see the call of Levi. That's Matthew. He's a tax collector. Of course, we know him more by Matthew probably than Levi, but he's a tax collector and Jesus calls him and he follows Jesus. And then we're going to see the religious leaders. They're going to question Jesus about his relationships and his lifestyle. We're going to begin seeing, starting this morning, and we saw a little bit last time, we're going to begin to see this whole aspect of the religious leaders that begin to confront Jesus. They don't like him. If Jesus is right, they're wrong. So they don't like it. And so we're going to begin to see from this, basically, from now on, all through the rest of the gospel, that the confrontation gets more and more and more. Now, we're going to see this morning a contrast between the law and legalism of the religious leaders and the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to reform the law. He came to bring grace. And we, we want to see that as we go through. May we gain from our study this morning as we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well... I think the greatest thing that could ever happen to any person is that they would trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and that they have eternal life. All of us need a Savior. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ goes from death to life, from darkness to light, and we have eternal life. God has a plan. It is planned that those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, that we'd become a disciple of Christ, that we would grow, that we'd follow Christ, that we would live for Him. And then our commission is to make disciples. That is telling others uh, about Jesus and helping them grow. Now, when you think about evangelism, just for a minute, think about that. Most believers fall short of evangelism. In fact, if we started asking you, how many of you uh, talked to anyone this week about Jesus Christ? Don't raise your hand. But how many this week? How about this month? How about this year? This last year. Think about it. Do you realize that in the statistics that we find that close to 80% of believers never share their faith in their whole life? 80%. Why not? Sometimes they're just afraid. They're afraid. They don't, you know, they say, well, I, you know, I'm afraid. And what, what do I say? And what if they ask me a question I don't know? And, and then sometimes they just say, I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to go in the Bible. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to share it. Sometimes they just think, you know, that's somebody else's job. I mean, somebody's got the gift of evangelism. Or maybe that's the pastor's job. And, you know, I'm just supposed to, like, bring them in or something. You know, that's sometimes the way we think about it. Truth is, we need to be sharing our faith. We need to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. We need to be introducing others to our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're going to see the man named Levi, Levi Matthew as we call him, a man who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then one of the first things that he does is he, he wants to introduce his friends to Jesus. 
He has a reception for Jesus Christ. He invites all of his friends to come. Why? So they can know Jesus Christ. We'll see it in this passage. It's powerful. We want to be excited about helping others come to know Jesus Christ. Because I know in our lives we all have friends and family and neighbors and co-workers. And the goal is that we would be used by God to help them come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, let's begin. It's the early part of Jesus' ministry. We're starting, of course, at verse 27. We'll go to the end of the chapter. He's at Capernaum. He's teaching the Bible. He's doing miracles. He's healing. He's showing his authority. Last time, his authority to forgive sin. That was incredible because that's claiming to be God because even as the religious leaders said, they said, who does he think he is? Only, only God can forgive sin. That's exactly right, and that's who he is. Well, we're beginning to see the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And I mentioned a while ago, they don't like what he's doing. And as the time goes by, the conflict gets worse and worse. It goes all the way to the end. And the climax, of course, is they have him arrested and beaten and taken to Pilate and put to death. That's, that's the final con- you know, of this whole conflict here. Well, this morning we're going to see the call of Levi and these religious leaders question Jesus' lifestyle and friends. You know, we're going to see how that ties together. We're going to see a key point as we go through this. And I don't know if you, a lot of times when we read the Gospels, there'll be some parables or some things that are sort of hard. Well, even this one about the wineskins, old wineskins, new wineskin, new wine, the cloth, the very end of the passage when he says, and no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for they say the old is good enough. What in the world does that mean? I mean, how does all this fit? And we'll see it as we go through what happens. Jesus is going to say, I'm bringing something totally new. I'm not going to take the law and try to fix the law. He's coming with grace and truth, and we'll see how it ties together. Well, let's see. The first thing we're going to see is the call of Levi. That's Matthew, the tax collector. Notice verse 27. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, after that, it says he went out. Well, after what? Well, if you remember the flow, he had been in that house where uh, all these people were gathered, and these, these guys brought a friend who was paralyzed. They said they saw his felt need, his felt need, but he wanted to walk. They couldn't get in. They tore a hole in the roof. They let the guy down right in front of Jesus, in front of all these people. And Jesus, instead of saying, I'm going to heal you, he said, your sins are forgiven. That was the real need. The real need was he needed forgiveness of sins. They only saw his felt need. And that happens a lot for us. There are all kind of people out there who are thinking, I need this, I need this, I need this. But what they really need is Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. Well, Jesus forgave sins. It was a very powerful thing. The religious leaders questioned him. And he showed them that he had the authority to forgive sins because he told the guy to go ahead and walk. I'll show you I've got that authority. Go ahead and walk as well. And he got up and left. It's very powerful. Now, there's something I taught last week I just want to remind you of. There is a difference between the payment of sin and forgiveness of sins. The payment of sin comes by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. First, uh, first John 2, 2, he's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. That's the payment for sin. Forgiveness of sin, that's the second thing. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. We need forgiveness of sin in order to have relationship and fellowship. Every person has the payment for sin, but only those who believe in Jesus have forgiveness of sin. That's what he was teaching, and we saw that last week. Well, it says here, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, he saw this tax collector. Now, tax collectors, let's face it, I mean, how many like to pay taxes now? They go, no, but they don't come around to the house and knock on the door unless you don't pay them. I guess they do that. They might. But tax collectors in that day and time worked for the Romans. Many times they were Jewish people, worked for the Romans. Here's what the Romans said. We want you to collect this much money. 
Anything they collected above what the Romans told them to collect, they got to keep. So if the Romans said, get me a hundred, they would get two hundred, and then they'd have that for themselves. And people knew that. And so they, don't, they didn't like them. Uh, there's a man, his name, he's a tax collector, his name is Levi. He's Jewish. Uh, he's sitting in the tax office. That's what it says. It says sitting in the tax booth. Well, literally, it's a tax office. It's a customs house. Now, I want you to understand that uh, they, they were hated people because they, took, they, they were worked for the Romans. If you were Jewish, you didn't like the Romans to begin with, and you sure didn't like some Jewish people taking up money for the Romans and then getting rich off you. So they weren't liked. There were two kind of taxes in those days. If you want to put a big, broad thing, there was what they called the land tax, which was on the ground that any property a person might have in that sense. And then there was a poll tax called poll tax, which was on everything else. Tax collectors were amazing. They could sit at the end of a bridge. As you crossed across the bridge, they taxed you for crossing the bridge. They taxed you based on how many animals, the produce you had, the number of wheels on your cart. Every, they just did that, and they got a lot of money. They took advantage. They were hated, and they were considered unclean. A Jewish believer, a Jewish person, seeing another Jewish person who was a tax collector, they said, that person's unclean. I'm not going to have anything to do with him because they mixed it up with the, with the rest of the people. Now, Jesus sees this man. Notice, after that he went out and noticed this tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, I think Levi already knew Jesus, and Jesus says, follow me. I think it's a combination of him immediately. He, maybe he had already believed in Jesus. We don't know, but right then he's going to believe in Jesus, and then he's going to follow him. He's going to leave it all. Notice verse 28. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Now, he leaves everything. Now, that's a lot of money. He left a job that made a lot of money. I mean, most tax collectors were very wealthy. We're going to see later on. We'll get it further on in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to meet that guy named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and he was rich because they made money off the people. And we're going to find that Levi is very wealthy because he's going to have a big party in just a minute. And all these people are going to be reclining at his house. And it's going to be a lot of people. It's even called a big reception. So here's this man, and, and he's leaving it all. Now, we know that salvation is a gift. costs us absolutely nothing. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. It's by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. So salvation costs us absolutely nothing. But to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to live for Jesus, costs us our lives. And here's what Levi does. Not only does he believe in Jesus, he gets up and he follows him. That's what Jesus calls him. He said, I want you to be with me. And Levi, in a sense, is willing to leave it all. A lot of money. People will say, you've given up a lot of money. He breaks with the old life and begins a new life with Jesus. You know, as believers, that's technically what we're supposed to do. We trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We're new creations in Christ. We're to break with the old life and live as new people. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, look what he does. Levi does something special. He knows the Savior, and now he wants his friends to know the Savior. Look at verse 29. Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Now, Levi, you can almost see what's going to happen. Levi says, you know, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and, and he is the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. I have eternal life. I have forgiveness of sins. 
I, I, I think people need to know this. So he says, I'm going to have a party. I'm going to have a big reception for Jesus. I'm going to invite people to come to my house so they can meet Jesus and they can find out who he is. His goal is the people to come and to see who Jesus is and to believe in Christ. But notice what it does. He gave this big reception for him, for Jesus, in his house. Now, it's a big house because it says it was a great crowd. The man was wealthy. It was a great crowd. But look who comes. A great crowd of tax collectors and other people, some of the other gospels say, and other sinners who were reclining at the table with them. Now, to recline, that means it was a big enough place that they were all laying out and eating. I mean, just a huge banquet, a big reception. And this great uh, crowd has come. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus has come into this room, this place, and his goal, he's going to touch the lives of those they need a Savior. Now, I want you to understand something. Not all people realize they need a Savior. Some people think that they're doing good enough. Some people say, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm, 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 I'm religious. I, I don't need a Savior. If you'd have asked me at age 18, was I going to heaven? The answer was, yes, I am. Why? Because I've done more good than bad. I thought that I was okay. See, there are some people who think by going to church or getting baptized or living a good life or giving away money or being a, a good person, they don't need a Savior. A lot of people don't think they need a Savior. They don't understand. Now, the people in this room, they were called tax collectors, and we're going to see they were also called sinners. And they would probably say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're pretty raunchy as far as the rest of the culture is concerned. Well, we have to come to a place where we realize we're hopeless, that we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and we need a Savior. Every one of us in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you came to a point where you realized you could never be good enough, that you were a sinner, that you you were going to be separated from God, and in, in the grace of God, you said, I must trust in Christ and Him alone. It's not me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Every one of us have to come to that point. Well, there's the party. All the tax collectors are there. Other people, they're having a big banquet. And notice who's grumbling about this. Look at the next verse. We're going to see the response by the religious leaders. Look at verse 30. The Pharisees and the scribes begin grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I want you to see it. The Pharisees and the scribes. Now, these are the religious leaders. And... It says they were grumbling. They were kind of talking under their things. You know, who, you know, who, who do you all think you all are? I mean, who does this Jesus think he is? He thinks he's the Messiah? He's going around telling people he's God? He's going around telling people he's the Messiah? Well, look who he's hanging around with. Look what he's doing. They're grumbling, and it, it just really it's a negative thing. I think there's a couple of reasons they're grumbling. Number one, they weren't invited to the party, probably. Uh, they wouldn't have come anyway. They would have said, we would never darken the door of some tax collector in these sinners. And the second thing, though, I think they're grumbling about is Jesus isn't doing right. He's a, if he's a Messiah, he can't, he's got to be acting like a Messiah. See, they went around with flowing robes, and they wanted the best seats, and they wanted people to know that they were the most special and the most righteous. That's how they went through the community. And here's this Jesus who's claiming to be God, who's claiming to be the Messiah, and who's he hanging around with? They say, he's got it all wrong. And so really, two things, I think, that they've got, they've got, he's got, they're saying, you got the wrong lifestyle. He's partying, not fasting. He's got the wrong lifestyle. And then the second thing, 
He's got the wrong people. And see, when they look at Jesus, they say, he should be fasting. He should be more serious. He should take this religion seriously. Because he's over there laughing with people and eating. And then, look who he's hanging around with. You know, later on, Jesus, we're going to see it later on in the gospel. Jesus goes to this house of this man who's wealthy and a, a, a powerful man. And, and while Jesus is there, this woman comes in who everybody knows is a prostitute. And she loves Jesus. And she comes in and she believes in him and she's crying and, and, and uh, holding his feet. And what does that guy say? He looks over at Jesus and says, if the guy, this guy really was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that was and he wouldn't let her touch him. See, they thought they were better. They're grumbling and they're saying, he's not acting like a Messiah ought to act. But they said wrong lifestyle. See, why do you, notice how they said it. Uh, why do you eat and drink? That's the wrong lifestyle. You're not serious enough. If you're going to be religious, you've got to be serious. Religious leaders said you had to be sober. You had to be important. In fact, isn't it throughout church history that... That people think Christianity is, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I, I, I kind of want to have fun in life, you know. I, I mean, I see them and everybody is all kind of sad-faced and, and everything's serious all the time. Swindoll has a book called Laugh Again. And uh, one reason he wrote it, he says, I just, I'm afraid that people have been taught that Christianity is not any fun. We trust Jesus Christ as Savior. We have eternal life. We have the joy of the Lord. We have great friends. We have great. We get to go through life as as a as a child of God. I mean, what more fun can we have? There are some of you in this room I've had a lot of fun with, and let's keep on having it. And I mean, let's. And so here's these religious leaders, and they're looking at him and saying, "You got the wrong lifestyle." And then they said, "You got the wrong people. You're with tax gatherers and sinners." Now they were saying this to Jesus' disciples. Notice again, verse thirty. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Why are y'all doing this? So Jesus is going to answer them. Look at verse 31. And he's going to deal, first of all, with the whole issue. He's going to deal the idea of the wrong people. Watch what he says. Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, he says, Wait a minute. You're thinking about this all wrong. It's not the well people that need a doctor. It's the sick people that need a doctor. And he's using that analogy to say it's the sinners that need a Savior. I'm not hanging around with the wrong people. I'm hanging around with the right people. Because the right people need a Savior, and I'm the Savior. So Jesus answered and said, It's not those who are well that needs a physician, but those who are sick. See, these religious leaders, they said, We're the good people. They're the bad people. Jesus said, Well, it's not the well people who need a doctor. It's not the righteous people who need a Savior. Of course, the truth is, there is what? None righteous, no, not one. See, the religious leaders didn't realize it. They thought they were well. When Jesus said, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick, they're saying, we don't need you because we're well. But the truth is, nobody's well. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior because we're all sinners. And Jesus says, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, it's when you know you're sick is you need the doctor. And every one of us in this room is sick. We're sick of sin, sick in sin, dead in trespassing sins. And thank, thanks be to God, gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. All people are sick and need a Savior. Notice what he goes on to say. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, there's none righteous. He came to call all people. Now, the religious leaders, if you ask them, are you righteous? They'd say, of course we're righteous. And if you said, why are you righteous? And they'd say, well, because we eat the right foods, and we tithe of a tenth of everything we have, and we fast this many times per week, and we try to keep the law. And not only do we try to keep the law, we made up a whole bunch of rules to go with it, and we try to keep that too. So, yes, we are righteous. You remember what Jesus said? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. They weren't righteous. There's none righteous. There are people in this town that think because they've gone to church all their lives that they're going to heaven. There are people who think because they got baptized that they're going to heaven. There are people who think because on a regular basis they give money to a church or an organization that that's going to make them right with God. Every person must realize that we're all sick. We're all unrighteous and we need a Savior. So Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now the word repent means a change of mind. He said, I've come to call people to change their minds. Change their minds about Christ. We need to change our minds to realize that we're not able to save ourselves. That we must trust in Jesus and Him alone. When the Bible talks about repentance, it, it's, it, there are people throughout history have thought the word repent means to turn from sin. It does not. It means a change of mind. And you have to look at it in the context. And many times he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. The king is on the earth. Jesus says, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to a change of change of mind and we need to change our minds and say I believe in myself I can never save myself and I must trust in Jesus see that's what I had to do because I believed that by doing more good than bad I'd go to heaven I had to change my mind I had to realize that I couldn't do it that one sin separated me from God no matter how many good that I tried to do and I changed my mind and I put my faith in Jesus Christ And all of you in this room who have trusted in Christ, that happened to you. You came to a point where you realized it wasn't you. You couldn't do it. You had to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, that's why I've come. I've come to do that. There are a lot of people who think that being baptized, joining a church, doing good, they're saved. And let me just say this. Some of you out there, I don't know. Where are you? Are you thinking that you are good enough? That you've been in church, you've done the right things, well, or have you changed your mind and realized you can't save yourself and that Jesus and Him alone is your Savior? Well, that's the first issue. They, they said, you've been with the wrong people. And he said, no, no, I'm with the right people. The second thing is the whole issue of lifestyle. And that's what he's going to deal with that. Notice what they say to him, verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours, your people, eat and drink. What they're saying is, you got the wrong lifestyle. See, if you're really going to be religious, you have to go around like you're religious. He says the disciples of John... John, who was the forerunner of Jesus, he said his disciples, they often fasted and they prayed. And, and even the, the Pharisees, he's saying, we, we do the same thing. But your people, y'all just eat and drink. Now let's talk about fasting for just a second because that's an issue. Some people talk about it. Uh, the fasting means to not take in food or drink. That's what it means. 
The Jewish people fasted some. In fact, the Old Testament law required one fast per year. It was on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, the, the, the Yom Kippur. It was a time, really, when they fasted. When they would fast, oftentimes connected with fasting was praying. It was a time that instead of worrying about eating or drinking, they would focus on praying. Sometimes they fasted because of a, of a time of sadness. Pharisees, as a group, fasted two days a week, Monday and Thursday. They did that every week. What they're really saying is to him is, John's disciples fast and pray. We fast. You don't. Aren't you serious about God? That's what they're saying to Jesus. We're serious. You're not. How's Jesus going to answer that? Look what he says. He's going to use a picture of the wedding, of a wedding. And watch what he says. Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. Can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they'll fast in those days. Here's what he says. He says, here's the picture. Pretend I'm the bridegroom, and I've got all my attendants, and we're at the wedding, and none of us are sad at the wedding. We're all happy because I'm here, and I'm getting ready to get married, and I'm the bridegroom, and all my attendants are there. Now, after I'm gone, there may be some time for people to be sad and fast. So he says, so while I am here, it's not Time to be sad and fast. So notice he says, that, uh, he said, um, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? He says, that's not the time to do that. He said, but the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. When is the bridegroom going to be taken away? When he goes to the cross. When he dies on the cross and he pays for the sin of the world, and they're all sad and down and hiding and everything like that. So he says, look, while I'm here, it's not... Time to fast. It's time to party. The Messiah's on the earth. The King is on the earth. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, He's on the earth. He's offering eternal life to all who believe. He's offering to the nation of Israel the King and Messiah. He says it's not time to be sad. It's time to party. That's what he's saying. So he answers their rejections in two ways. First of all, he says, you said wrong people. He said, no, 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 that's not wrong people. I came for the sick people. I came for the sinners. I'm coming to the right people. The second thing is the wrong lifestyle. He said, no, no, it's not wrong lifestyle. It's not the time to fast while Jesus is here. Now, he's going to teach them something through this parable, and you have to watch it closely. What he's going to say is this. He has not come to repair the law. He's not come to fix the law. He has come to bring something totally new. He's not come to Mosaic law and say, let's fix this up and live by the law. He's coming to do something totally different. And he uses two pictures of it in this parable. He uses the new cloth and the old cloth. And then he uses the second one, the new wineskin, uh, and new wine and wineskin and old wineskin. We'll see how that ties together. Jesus is saying, I'm coming and I'm bringing something totally new. I've not come to renew and refix this old law system, this legalism. I've come with grace and truth. By the way, law and grace do not mix. And that's what he's going to show. Look at verse 36. And he was telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. He said, you don't say, oh, i got a little hole in this old thing. I'm going to take this brand new piece of cloth. I'm going to cut it out and then put it over here. And when you do that, you go, well, I ruined this one, and this one doesn't match this one. See, they don't go together. They don't mix. What he's saying is the old law doesn't mix with the new grace. He uses another analogy. Watch. 
and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. The truth is when you put new wine, it always expanded. If it was an old wine skin, it wouldn't expand anymore and so the new wine would burst it. He said what you have to do is you put new wine in new wine skins. You don't put new wine in old wine skins. What he's saying is they don't go together. You can't mix them. What he's really saying is this, that he's coming with grace and truth. And he's not coming to fix up the law and to straighten things out and to say, now, religious leaders, you almost got it right. He's not coming to do that. He's coming to bring something totally new. It is the grace and truth. Do you remember John 1.17? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's making a change. And so he's telling them, I'm not come to fix up the law. And so let me tell you, there are, there are Christian groups denominations and organizations that believe we're under the Mosaic law and we're to live by the Mosaic law. We are not under the law. Jesus didn't come to fix the law. He came to bring grace and truth. It's a totally new thing. In fact, none of us have ever been under the Mosaic law. So don't put yourself under a law system. That's what Galatians talks about. That's what the book of Romans talks about. Even Jesus is saying, I've not come to fix up the old. I'm coming to bring something totally new. Now, notice how he ends this. Because this is the part, remember, I read it a while ago, and I said, what in the world is this talking about? Notice what he says at the end. He says, and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. Now, what he's going to teach is this, that these religious leaders don't want the new. They want the old. That's why he says, no one, after drinking old, they're used to the old, wishes for the new. Why? Because they think the old is good enough. See, the religious leaders didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the new thing. They thought the law was fine. They would say, no, 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 you leave us alone. We got what's right. All we have to do is keep these following rules. Of course, they couldn't keep them. There are many people who try to come to God by the law, by being good, by the rituals. And when they hear the truth that salvation is a gift, faith alone in Christ alone, you know what they say? No, 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 that can't be right. I've had people, have you ever heard somebody say, that's too easy, that sounds too simple, it can't just be faith in Jesus? No, 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 I'm not going to follow that. I'm going to go back, and I know you're going to have to be good, and I know you're going to have to go to church, and you're going to have to get baptized, and you've got to do these things. I mean, nobody can just say you're going to heaven just by faith in Jesus. There are a lot of people who want the old rather than the new. And these religious leaders, when Jesus offered himself as the Savior, they said, no, no thank you. We like the law. They couldn't keep the law. They never have. And that's why he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. When Jesus came, he came to bring something new. He says, now some people, no one after drinking the old, they, want, they don't want the new because he says this old is good. It's good enough. It's what we want. I think in your life, you may have had this happen to you. I've had it happen to me a number of times that I've talked to some people, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in groups, and we talk about salvation, how Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life, and salvation is a gift, and it's not works. It's simply faith, and when you believe in Jesus, you're saved forever. And then you have people come right up to you and say, I don't think that's right, because there's got to be more to it than that. See, because all their life, what have they heard? You've got to be good. You've got to keep the law. You've got to go to church. You've got to get baptized. You've got to do these things. And if you don't do these or keep on doing them, you probably won't get the go. They like the old better. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Let me tell you, when we go out these doors, we get to tell people the grace of God. We get to tell them about Jesus Christ and how he died and rose again and how it is simply by faith plus nothing. And there are going to be people you'll come in contact with and they've brought, been brought up in rich, rituals or legalism or laws, works, all of this, and they're going to look at you and say, I don't think that's right. I don't like that. I think this is what's right. That's what Jesus is saying. What have we seen? We've seen the call of Levi to follow Jesus. We've seen he had the party and all the friends. He wanted them to know Jesus. Religious leaders grumbled because he was with the wrong people. He had the wrong lifestyle. Jesus said, no, it's not the wrong people because I've come for the sick. And it's not the wrong lifestyle because it's time to party while I'm here. And then Jesus said, I'm bringing new life in ministry. And it's not going to mix with the old. Let me give you some applications. Here's the first one. Realize that all people need a Savior. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every person needs Jesus Christ. There are people you're going to come in contact with every day that do not believe they need a Savior. They think they're fine. They say, I think that by doing this, or I've tried to, you know, I've talked to people, and you've asked them. They said, are you going to heaven? And they say, yes. And you say, why? And they say, because I've tried to live a good life. I pray. I talk to God. They think what they're doing gets them to God. They don't realize they need a Savior. Human beings, people, we're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. All need, as he says in this passage, to repent, which means a change of mind. They need to realize they can't save themselves and to trust in Jesus. Here's the second application. Let's bring people to Jesus. Levi had a big party. He said, I want all my friends to know about Jesus. Now, my friends are not what everybody else likes. My friends are all tax collectors and sinners, but that's who needs him. We need to do whatever it takes to make sure that those around us know about Jesus. Our family, our friends, our co-workers. Our goal is to share our faith. Our goal is to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. If you say, I don't know exactly what to say, you come see me. We'll get you in a 412 or I'll get with you one-on-one. I'll make sure you feel so confident that when opportunities come, you can share your faith. Because we want people to know Jesus. And the last thing is this. Understand that Jesus came to bring new life and ministry. He didn't come to fix the law. He didn't come to change the old stuff and kind of fix it up a little bit. He came with the grace and the truth. They don't go together. Romans 11:6 6 says, Grace is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. They do not go together. You will find people that think the old is better, working their way to God, doing the rituals. They miss the grace and the truth. Let's show people the grace of God. It'll change their lives forever. May we be used by God to introduce others to Jesus, showing the new salvation by grace through faith and truth rather than the old works and law and legalism and religion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for letting us see Jesus and realizing, Lord, that all people need a Savior. That everybody in this room is sinning, come short of the glory of God. And I hope and pray that everyone in this room is trusted in Jesus, realizing you can't save, but they can't save themselves. None of us can. We need to change our minds and put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray that you'll use each one of us in this room to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus Christ. That we'll look at life realizing that we have the great privilege and responsibility to, to share our faith. So use us, Lord. Help us to be trained and equipped and ready.
ready to share our faith. And thank you, Lord, that when Jesus came, he didn't come to fix up the law and to put us under a legalistic system. He came to give us grace and truth. And thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. And we thank you that by the grace of God, we have eternal life. We live the Christian life and we look for the blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.